0: So how's everybody doing tonight? Everybody awake? All right, good. Um. Well, again, it is it is a pleasure to be able to to divide the word and just just be able to say that God has called me to preach and this is what this is what I get to do. Um, I may not be very good at it, uh, like uh, Pastor Larry Moore says. You know, we're just novices, so it's not a big deal. God's not going to punish you for not doing things exactly perfect, um, but He's still going to ask you to do them. So tonight, um, I want to start in the book of Philippians chapter 4. Uh, We're going to be in verses 1 through 5. We'll be jumping all around um, with a lot of different Scripture, but this is going to be our main text tonight. Um originally wanted to title this Developing Spiritual Stability, but um, as I continued on and, and, and preparing, um, I feel like it should change. I don't know what it is. We'll see at the end. Um, so, Philippians 4, verses 1 through 5 says, Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. I plead with this one lady. And I plead with this other lady, too, to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. All right. so how do we stand firm in the Lord how, how are we to develop our um, spiritually in the Lord the the lives of many believers are, are are riddled with with ups and downs it's like a roller coaster ride I can remember well, I don't know four or five months ago in the, in November I felt like I was hit rock bottom. I'd lost my job and I didn't have didn't know what I was going to do and then God brought me out of that and got, I got a fantastic job now and everything seems so great. Um, and then a couple weeks ago boy just Satan was attacking me. I don't know what was going on. Nothing really bad was happening. It's just man, I felt spiritually drained. I just felt like what's going on? What's going on here? I mean, I still got a job. I got a f- lot of food on the table obviously. Um you know i i got a good marriage uh, oh, what's going on god why I mean, what's what's going on um and you know it's just a roller coaster ups and downs um and and that's not a that's not god obviously that's us doing that um but it's just amazing how we're, we're life is this roller coaster with god you know and 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 sometimes we we feel like we're in one place one moment and, and in another we're in isolation. One, one moment we're close to God and in another we're in isolation and, and there's, it seems like there's no way out. You know, Scripture describes this as being spiritually infant. As being a spiritual baby. Uh-huh. And I hate to admit that I'm, I'm that way sometimes, but... The Bible describes us as being double-minded and being tossed like the waves of the sea. And in Ephesians 4, 14 and in James 1, 6, um, it describes being spiritually unstable. But our faith in Jesus should be what allows us to remain stable and remain constant in our faith. Paul in this text encourages the Philippians to stand firm in the Lord. This is not the first time Paul has done this to the Philippians. We also see this in chapter 1 where he says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. That's Philippians one twenty-seven. Paul said, Whatever happens, that they should stand firm in one spirit. There were a lot of trials attacking the, the Philippian church at this point. I mean, they were being persecuted for their faith. Um, we see that in Philippians one twenty nine. Um there was a lot of arguing, there was a lot of complaining. We see that in Philippians two fourteen. And there was also a lot of false prophets, false teachers um, attacking the congregation, their doctrine, trying to make them conform to what they believed. Um and, and these these difficulties could shake their faith in Christ but still Paul encourages them to stand firm. In this instance, the word firm means to persist or to persevere. It is like a picture of a soldier standing fast against the onslaught of an enemy. Scripture continually uses this metaphor of war for the Christian life. How many heard of the term spiritual warfare? That's it. Peter said, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and and, and strangers, this is in 1 Peter 2.11, Peter said, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. In this verse, Peter describes the believers as warring with his soul or flesh. Paul said in Romans 7 the things I would do, I don't do, and the things I would, wouldn't do, I do. Who can save me from this body of sin? So, as Christians, we're at war. We're at war with the flesh. And in a fight to be holy. Christians are also in a war with the world. Not, not the physical world, the people of the world, but sin. James says friendship with the world is, is enmity with God. In James 4 and 4. In 1 John 2.15, John says, Do not love the world or the things in, in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Paul says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There is an enmity between the world and the people of God. There's a disconnect. God cannot, sin cannot be in the presence of God. Therefore, if sin is in our life, we are unable to be in the presence, in the true presence of the living God. There is a war of viewpoints, and at times there's per- persecution towards believers over different viewpoints and different lifestyles and different c- carpet colors and what the walls are going to look like in the new church. Not here, obviously. We're all good here, right? Okay, good. All right. Um, the, wor- the, the world persecuted Jesus. The, the world killed Jesus. And since then, it's, it's going to be persecuting his followers as well. But the battle is not just in our flesh and with the world. It's also in the spiritual realm. We've been talking a lot lately about spiritual awakening. Um, Not just having a revival, but awakening of of, of our spirit. And we must know that there's spiritual warfare going on. And there is a spiritual realm that if we don't spend a lot of time doing things of the spirit, then we're not going to recognize those things that are of spiritual nature. Paul called for the Ephesian church to stand firm against the devil and his schemes. He said, put on the full armor of God so that, you cannot take, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes in Ephesians 6. The believer needs to stand firm because he's always under the attack of the enemy. The enemy's going to attack any way he can. He's going to attack you personally, individually. He's going to attack your mind. I feel like a couple weeks ago, that's what was happening to me. Satan was just attacking for some reason, I just got depressed. I just got unhappy. I lost my joy, and I don't know why. Um, there was no tangible reason for it. The enemy can attack your body. He can cause you to become, become ill. He can becau- cause you to become tired. And he can attack your family. Not just in sickness, but he can attack your family, causing them to, to bring strife into the relationship, causing them to bring... Um, diversity into the, into the situation that is against what God call, has called us to do. Many things can cause a believer to become discouraged or to retreat or to even give up on following Christ altogether. When Paul says that this, that is how you should stand firm, we can also translate that in, into this way, stand firm. This way, in this way, do it this way. Stand firm. As Paul closes his letter, he he is reaffirming their need to stand firm amongst various attacks, and he shows them how to do so. So, how how can we stand firm as Christians when we've got the attack of the enemy on all all sides? How can we hold our ground and not be tossed to and fro, um, like the Bible says, as as a baby Christian? How are we able to stand our ground through all the hardships and through all the difficulties? In Philippians 4, 1-5, we see these principles about spiritual stability, about being spiritually aware. So the first, the first point I'd like to make is spiritual stability is developed by pursuing intimacy with Christ, also known as being Christ-like. That's what, we're all, what we all strive for, right? At least we should be. I mean, we don't want to stay who we are forever. We don't want to stay like we are forever, continue on sinning. You know, we shouldn't do that, right? So we want to try to be more Christ like because Christ was the only one that was sinless. So we see in Philippians 4 1, it says, Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. So what does this mean to stand firm, and and how do we develop this in our lives? The therefore in this text points back to Philippians 3, 3, 10-21 as one of the ways that we stand firm in the Lord. In these verses, Paul describes his desire to know Christ and the power of the resurrection, to have fellowship with his suffering. Paul describes... Uh, things such as dying like him and one day being resurrected like him. Um, we see that in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 3. He describes himself as, as pressing pressing on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of. And he called this his one thing in life. Paul saw himself as in, in almost an athletic endeavor uh, to, to know Christ and to just be like him. It was more of a, of a have to than a want to. It was more the, of a need to than anything else then in verse 17 Paul calls for the church to follow his example in pursuing Christ and now we see in Philippians 4 1 this is how we should stand firm in the Lord seeking after Christ spiritual stability comes from a continual pursuit of knowing Christ the Christian's life has often been compared to walking upstream so imagine you're you're in a river, okay? We don't not a like creek. You can stand in a creek, but a river that's that's flowing pretty good, and you're you're trying to walk north, and it's flowing south, Mississippi River, okay? And so you're walking, and you're barely making ground. I mean, you're barely moving. All right, let me get out here and do this. All right. So you're barely moving forward. I mean, you're ho- moving hard, kind of like if you're on a treadmill, you're not going anywhere. All right and then you stop what's going to happen you're going to go backwards you're going to go with the flow of the river and that's how our relationship with god is like we're either moving forward or we're moving backwards there is no being s- stalemate there's no staying where you're at and i think we get caught up in that a lot um, we we all know it right we've all said it before you're either get going forward or you're going backwards you know you're not, you're not going to stay the same but yet we continue to do it um, me being one as well. But the power of, the power of this current is, is, is too strong. It's impossible to stay in the same place. And so we'll either go forward or we'll either go backwards. In order to stay firm, in order to stay steadfast in your walk with God, we must press against this current. Press against the current of this world. We must always press to know Christ more. We must always desire to know Christ more, just as Paul is described in his writings in Philippians. Knowing and being like Him must be our one thing if we are going to develop spiritual stability in our lives. Otherwise, we'll always be tossed to and fro like the waves, back and forth, up and down in our spiritual lives. Proverbs eighteen ten says the name of the Lord is a strong tower; the righteous run to it and are safe. So in the Old Testament, the word the the word name, the Hebrew um, word for name, I can't pronounce, so I'm just going to tell you there is a word. Um, and in this culture, it is actually referred to somebody's culture, uh, to somebody's um, nature. Um, in in the Hebrew culture, it's not a, uh, um. Like C J. What does C.J. mean in English, C.J.? What does it mean in Hebrew? I have no idea. But back in the day, people got their names from their character, from how they did, from how they acted. Um, And so essentially, the writer of Proverbs is saying that those who know the Lord and His person are safe because the name of the Lord is Strong Tower. They're protected because of their knowledge of God. They are not tossed to and fro by the difficulties of life. The righteous understand that therefore are always pursuing the knowledge of the Lord. They want to know. They want to understand His name. We can only be spiritually stable if we are growing in the knowledge of Christ. It is at the point when we are not growing that we are vulnerable. It is when we are not in the Word of God. It is when we are inconsistent in the fellowship of church. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Everyone should amen on that. We were just encouraged to text our friends uh, about not being here. So I'll, I'm going to say this again. Uh, it is when we're inconsistent in the fellowship of church, amen, which is where God is present. Amen. And it is when we are no longer growing into His image that we become spiritually unstable and more susceptible to the attacks of the enemies. Man, that is so, so true. Um, I can't tell you how many times I missed church for two weeks, and I think that's why I was in such bad shape I mean I missed once because I was sick, and then it got canceled, and then I was sick another time so I think that's what it was But uh, you know it's like If you think of a sheep you know we're and we're, we're a flock right we're a flock of people we're, we're, we're and the Shepherd is is Jesus and Where are the people that are most safe? They're the ones that's closest to the shepherd. The sheep that are closest to the shepherd are the most safe. The ones that s- stray away, those are the ones that get eaten by the wolf, right? So it's like the little, the little boy who's, who's walking by his dad. He's, there's two boys. The, the little one's walking by his dad, and the older one, you know, he's older, he's more independent. He runs off into traffic. Who's more safe? the one who stays with his father, right? God being our heavenly father, if we stay closer to him, we're less likely to run out in traffic of the world, both figuratively and, well, really running out in traffic. Um, My kids. That's what comes to mind. Um, But we're most... Prone to stumbling and falling when we're farthest away from God, when we're not continually um, consumed by by His presence and consumed by His Word and a desire to know Him. Paul says, "This is how you stand firm: by being around around God and His people, being around um, iron sharpens iron, being around people who love Jesus, who who want to talk about Jesus. This is what keeps us from falling." It's called accountability. Paul says that if you're not growing and pursuing growth as your one thing, it is then that you're the most prone to be taken captive by the enemy. We see this in 2 Timothy verses 2, 25 through 26, where Paul's essentially describing a, a POW, a prisoner of war. Um, he says those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them r- repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will he describes them not as thinking correctly he they need to come to their senses obviously they're thinking incorrectly they're crazy they're trapped by the devil and they're doing his will that doesn't mean they're they're doing um, sorcery or anything like that it just means they're not in the will of God. And so if they're not in the will of God, whose will are they in? Christians who find themselves in captivity, bound to their lusts, their prides, and their habitual sins are are typically Christians who were not growing and Christ wasn't their one thing. This created a spiritual disconnect and a lack of sensitivity to the Holy Spirit which led them to the stronghold that the devil has on them. How many know that sin is of the devil. So if we're sinning, then obviously we've got a problem. If we're sinning, then obviously the devil has a stronghold on us, whether it's once a day or once a week or once a month. That's something that the devil has a stronghold on us. And the f- closer we come to God, the closer we come to Jesus, the more we can get out of the sin. Spiritual growth is necessary to stand firm. And if not, we're vulnerable to the enemy. So in what ways can you ex- have you experienced stability when growing in Christ? In what ways have you experienced being tossed to and fro with the trials of life when not growing? The next point I want to make is spiritual stability is developed by fostering harmony in the body of Christ. So we're going to talk about here in this point, basically, all of us here and how we are to be with each other. Because who knows if it's super stressful when you come to church. It's just not going to be, I mean, it's going to be hard to enter into worship because you're thinking about so-and-so and what they did, right? So we, we see this happening in Philippians um, verses 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 2 through 3, um, with these two ladies that I can't pronounce. So we're going to say E. Um, and Eudia and Sintichi i don't know, I don't know. So Eve and Sarah—we're um, <laughs> going to call them that, okay? Um, I plead with Eve uh, and I plead with Sarah to to agree with each other and the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, help these women who have contended at my side in the, in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement. And the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So moving up in in, in Philippians here, the the next thing needed for us to develop spiritual stability is is to foster harmony in the body of Christ. Here in this in this uh this passage, we see these two ladies um, who are obviously having a fight. Uh, Um the Bible doesn't tell us what this fight is about. Um it just tells them, it just mentions that they're having a fight. And obviously these two women Um, Are not just um, people sitting on the back pew when they walk into church and leave before everybody else gets up uh, Most scholars believe that these two women probably had a a high standing in the church um, because they were there whenever it was planted They were part of the church planting team Um, But they had a problem and and I don't think it was a doctor a doctrine thing. Um, I think it was more of a personal thing Um, The color of the roof I mean, who knows? Uh it does doesn't say. But obviously that it was it was a big deal because it was affecting how they were having church. It was affecting it so much that he had to write a letter and put it in there. Okay, so if Paul wrote about it, it was a big deal. Um, and in Mat Matthew twelve twenty-five says, A house divided against itself cannot stand. So Paul here is is challenging these two women um, to stand firm by agreeing with each other in the Lord. So so they're not going to be able to, to agree with each other on what they already know because they probably already talked about it and they still can't agree. So they have to think and they have to act like Christ instead. Most likely, this this conflict was affecting everybody in the church, and and they even may have separated into into different factions. So they may have developed a following. Uh, anybody who's been in church long enough has heard of a of a church split, right? This is what happens, and it happened in Philippians. So this is not a new thing. But just like in in Philippians, this this gives us a good outline of what what we should do um, today with if we have a problem with somebody else. Throughout this letter, Paul hinted at potential problems. Um, he called for them to stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. This is, implies that they were not contending as one man. In Philippians 2.2, he again encouraged them to be one in spirit and purpose. And again in 2.14, he called for the church to do all things without complaining and arguing. So again, the implication was that they were complaining and that they were arguing. Um, And he may have been talking about the conflict between these two ladies. um, And that may have been the primary source of the tension of the church. Um, You know, Paul said that these women, uh, they contended at his side. um, And contended at my side. In, In the Greek culture, this is a term that is used during a gladiator fight. Um, it literally is translated, fought by my side. Uh, so, these, I mean, these ladies are not, and their, their names are written in the book of life. Um, so, these are not just random ladies. These are not just um, ladies that are sitting on a pew doing nothing. Um, these were not carnal Christians causing problems in the church, they were warriors for Christ. Where Paul was in Philippi, they faithfully fought by his side to present the gospel and possibly start the church. I think it's pretty good for us to hear this because sometimes we think that that the fights are caused by people that are doing nothing. They just sit back and and try to find something to pick at um, But these two ladies have been there for a while and 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 obviously they're Christians because he says that their name was in the that was written in the book of life and and he He basically called them warriors um, while they were setting up the church in Philippi. But I think it's encouraging because even well-meaning and devoted Christians, they can still have conflict at times. I mean, look at Paul and Barnabas. They They had a fight over Mark, whether or not he should come, and then they split. Two people that we know to be awesome Christian people split because of an argument. Sometimes it's our spiritual warriors, or the spiritual elite, if you will, that fight amongst one another. And this w- should actually make sense because who should be the most devoted? Who should be the most on fire and and and, and desire most um, from God? Is with these people, caring about the lost, ministering to the poor, um, discipling the saints. And It's really important to them, and and this passion that at time, at at times can cause conflict. Sometimes their methods are different. Sometimes their personalities vary. Sometimes their doctrines a little bit different. Um, you know, from A.G. to Baptist, Methodist. You know, a little bit of different doctrine there. But I mean, I've got Methodist and Baptist friends. So I mean, we all love God and we all love Jesus. We're all serving the same thing. Um, we just do it a little bit differently but these differences can sometimes cause conflict among passionate people people who really don't care aren't usually the ones who fight so how can we foster harmony in the church especially among amidst personal conflict number one believers foster harmony in the church by thinking like Christ Paul said I plead with those two ladies to agree with each other in the Lord. Agree with each other in the Lord literally can be translated think the same thing in the Lord or to be of the same mind. What does he mean by this? This seems to point back to what he taught in Philippians 2, 3-5 that these women needed to develop the mind of Christ. If they thought the same way as Christ, then they could work out their conflict. Listen to what Paul said previously. He said in Philippians 2, 3-5, Do not out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude or your mind should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. The very thing that often causes conflict in our lives is selfish ambition. It is a desire for our own way and for things to be done the way we think is best. But however, the mind of Christ considers others first. Christ cared about the interests of God and others before His own. If we adopted the same mind and servant attitude, then we can have harmony and unity in the church, even if we differ in opinion. So do we consider others and their interests above our own? Do we put others first? Number two, believers foster harmony in the church by fixing their relationship with Christ. To agree with each other in the Lord also may infer that they need to fix their relationship with Christ in order to agree with one another. John MacArthur said Paul knew that if, if they both got right with the Lord, they would be right with each other. He, the, he calls them to agree in the Lord. This is reality of most relation, relational conflict. Relational conflict and, and how we respond to it is a picture of where our relationship is with, with Jesus. The conflict shows our, our selfishness. It shows us how we're, we have a lack of patience. We have a lack of love. Um, For others, our relationship with others is a picture of our relationship with God. If our horizontal relationships are off, then our vertical relationships are going to be off as well. I think you'd said that a few months ago. I remember hearing that in a sermon. I think it was yours. Um, So yeah, I mean, if, if, if we're having problems with a brother or a sister in Christ, you know, it may not be just that person. It may be you and your relationship with God is off. So we've got to make sure that our relationship with God is right. Because if that's right, the relationships with each other will, will be right. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. That was first John four twenty through 21 So John's saying it's impossible to love God if you don't love your brother. I mean, we don't see God. We don't physically... God doesn't walk into the room every time we have service and sit in the front row, and so that's why we're in His presence. We don't see God physically. We can't see Jesus. We can't see the Holy Spirit, but we know they're there. The evidence is all around us, but we can see our brother and sister, and yet, if we can't, say that we love them how can we say we love something that we can't see something we can't touch so this directly correlates um, according to first John if we don't love our brother we cannot love God In the context of First John, hate and love are actually pictures of truly being saved or or not, according to John five thirteen. The very reason John wrote the book was to give assurance to those who believed in Christ. However, the principle is the same. Our earthly relationships reflect our heavenly relationships. Jesus said, "If we don't forgive others, God won't forgive us." Matthew six fifteen. So to fix our heavenly relationship we have to fix our heavenly relationships in order to fix our earthly relationships and the way that we mend relationships is by first going into the secret place and meeting with Christ um anybody remember the wh- what was that movie that came out that had the prayer closet in it you know the war yeah war room perfect name um anybody have one of those robin has one you know, I I've been in my house. I've walked around my house numerous times and I'm like, where can I put one? Where can I put one of these? Cuz I mean, I'm like I'm going to pray like all the time. I want to pray. And and then I get to doing something and the kids come in or um, you know, we we eat dinner and I'm done. I'm like, you know what? I need to pray and then the TV comes on. It's like, man, I need to pray, but this TV looks good, and so I watch TV, and then it's time for bed, and then I'm like laying in bed, and God, thank you for today, you know, and start praying and you know thanking Him for it, which is fine, you know, if that's all you can do, but you know, I try to set up a place that is a secret place that that is the only thing that that is for, um, that that I can go and get away and 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 just talk with God, you know, um, in in silence. Um, It's hard to hear. Jesus talking to you when kids are screaming and the TV's on—it's um, really hard. And, and so, I think it's important that in, in order to r- fix the relationships between each other and get with Christ, we've got to be able to find that that quiet, secret place. So, if you have a room in your house that you're not using, that's what you can use it for—prayer room. Moving on. Um, often find when I'm sharp or wh- if I'm impatient with my wife or my children which is rare um kidding um it it's not always clear um but l- at the time but later on normally it's because my relationship here is suffering my relationship here is lacking um and so it it comes out in other ways i don't have the peace or the patience or the love that comes from from Christ the and the only way for me to fix it is to correct my relationship with Christ number three believers foster harmony in the body of Christ by carrying the burdens of others Paul calls for a man named yoke fellow um, or in some translations companion um, to help these two women agree in the Lord we don't know who this man is but since he was addressed in the letter he obviously was known by the congregation he must have been a prominent man and maybe one of the elders mentioned in Philippians 1 and 1. Uh, the name in Greek is Suzugos. Um, and it's a word, a picture of two oxen yoked together um, carrying uh, the same burden, carrying the same load. Um so m- many commentators believe that the name should remain untranslated. Um so they're not going to try to give him a name but just call him yoke fellow. Um, Paul was using uh, a play on his name. Uh, they believe that uh, he, he called him loyal or true. Uh, yoke fellow meaning that his character fit his birth name. So with a with the yoke it enables the oxen to pull together and to get work done more quickly. Um, And as this man worked with these women, it would enable them to resolve their conflict faster. So this is the same thing as we should do as believers in order to have harmony in the church. Conflict in a congregation creates spiritual instability. It opens the door for Satan's attacks. It affects everybody because we are all part of the body. And if one of us suffers, we all suffer, right? We should we should it should be that way. Therefore we have a responsibility to lov- lovingly get involved with people in conflict so the body of Christ can remain stable and healthy. That sounds fun, doesn't it? That's hard. That's hard to do. I mean, I don't have a problem doing that with my wife, you know, if we have a problem I I'll, I'll talk to you about it. Um but it's hard if I if if I have a problem with oh, Ken, which I don't, but if I had a problem with Ken, it'd be hard for me to go to Ken and say, Hey, Ken, I got this problem with you. And I love you, brother, but this is what it is. I mean, that'd be hard to do. I mean, it's not, it's not the funnest thing to do. But here it tells us that, that that's what we need to do. In order to keep conflict um, low and to resolve conflict, we're to go to our brother. We're to go to our sister. Um, and we're to resolve that in a, a Christ-like manner. Love you again. Um, Paul Paul said in Galatians 6:2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. We must willingly take on the burdens of others in order to work for unity. This means praying for a couple struggling in their marriage, getting involved, showing the love of Christ. It means encouraging those who are down. Sometimes it even means getting other spiritual leaders involved so they can help carry the load. We are the body of Christ. This is, how, this is how God's Word spreads. This is how it moves. We are all working, moving parts. A soldier who fights by himself cannot stand. We must work together if we are going to stand, and for that reason, Satan always seeks to bring discord among congregations. We must stand by walking in harmony with the church. So, Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. What else is needed to develop spiritual stability? Paul commands them to rejoice in the Lord always. In fact, he repeats the command for emphasis. I will say it again. Rejoice. The repetition shows its importance. Satan is always seeking to attack our joy. He knows that a discouraged Christian is a vulnerable Christian. A discouraged Christian is a Christian that typically will not be active in serving Christ and others. They typically are too self-consumed. So Satan works hard to, to bring on discouragement and to take away our joy. Nehemiah said the joy of the Lord is our strength. And therefore, to not have joy means to be weak and to be vulnerable. In order for us to stand firm in the Lord, we must rejoice in Him. Some may find it strange to command an emotion. Uh, Many people look at an emotion as something that comes and goes as it pleases. They say things like, I just fell in love, or I couldn't help it, or um, I really don't like that person, um, and I don't know why, but I don't. Uh, But Scripture doesn't treat our emotions in the same way as others. They are treated as an act of the will, and that is why they are commanded. We are commanded to love our enemies, to be anxious for nothing, And here we are commanded to rejoice. How is it possible to rejoice always, especially when things are difficult? It's good for us to remember the context of this letter. Christians are being persecuted throughout the Roman Empire, and Paul himself was in prison for the faith. He was awaiting a possible death sentence, and yet throughout the letter he talks about how his own joy, despite his present circumstances... In Philippians 1 and verse 4, he says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. He experienced joy while praying for the Philippians. He said in Philippians 2:17 and 18, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. So as Paul is commanding the the Philippians to have this joy despite what's going on, um, they were were similarly being persecuted for their faith. Uh, Paul says that that it had been granted them by God to not only believe in Christ, but also to suffer for Him. At the founding of the Philippian church in Acts 16, Paul was imprisoned for serving Christ, and no doubt some had suffered the same fate as him. Despite all that, he calls for the Philippians to to rejoice. It's only possible for our joy in the Lord, is it's only possible for us to rejoice if our joy is in the Lord and not in in our own circumstances and not in in our own possessions and not in 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 our own lives, but in the Lord, because the Lord is the only thing that is constant. For many, if life is good, they're they're Joy's good. Pocketbook's big. Joy's big. But life's bad. So is their joy. Their joy goes, goes away. So instead of being Christians that stand firm, they're up and down with every event in life. If we're going to stand firm, we must develop a joy that is constant, regardless of trial or persecution. And I am trying to hurry. It is 8 o'clock. All right. So the last thing is uh, for spiritual stability is developing and practicing gentleness to all. The last verse we see in Philippians um, is Philippians 4 5 says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. Another thing we must do in order to stand firm in the storms and trials of life is to develop a characteristic of gentleness. Paul says, Let your gentleness be evident to all. This is one of the hardest words in the Greek to translate. In fact, there is no one English word that can. Fully express what this word means. One might even say that it is untranslatable, which is hard to read. (laughs) Um, We can see this by the various words used to translate it. Um, It's been translated as sweet reasonableness, generosity, goodwill, friendliness, magnanimity, magnanimity, charity towards the faults of others, mercy. Um, Indulgence, leniency, big-heartedness, moderation, forbearance, um, and gentleness. Um. So how do we let our gentleness be made known to everyone? Number one, we must be merciful towards others. A person that is vengeful and vindictive when harmed will never stand firm. Proverbs twenty-five twenty-eight describes an angry person as a city without walls. In ancient times, a city without walls was not only open for attack, but ultimately for destruction. In the same way, a person that is constantly angry at people who hurt them or treat them badly will not stand. Their anger will ultimately lead to destruction. We all know that Jesus was the ultimate gentle one. Uh, We see in, uh, you know, when His enemies crucified Him, He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We see that in Luke 23, 34. He's also gentle in His response to our failures. He continually washes us with His blood so we can be in the right relationship with the Father. Jesus taught His followers to turn the other cheek instead of responding with wrath and wrongdoing. Jesus' Jesus' gentleness allowed him to stand among constant attacks and also the failures of those he loved. I mean, how many times do you have to ask a person to stay awake while you're praying? And yet he still loved Peter. How do you respond when people hurt or mistreat you? Scripture says that instead of being harsh, you should let your gentleness be made known to all. This will enable you to stand. Anger is destructive not only to those who are recipients of it, but also for the person who harbors it. Being gentle also means that we should graciously serve others. In America, we sometimes call a person a gentleman. This person opens a door for a woman. Um, You know, he pulls out the chair for a lady. Um, He serves others before he serves himself. Um, we call him a gentleman, right? In the same way as Christians, everybody should be able to see our gentleness, especially those who harm and, and persecute us. Again, all this is given in the context of these two ladies in conflict. Instead of holding a grudge towards one another, they should forgive and serve one another. This is what we should do as well. Listen to what Paul says in Romans twelve twenty through 21 Says on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So we must be gentle to all, but especially those who hurt us. We should feel them when, when they're we should feed them when they're hungry and give them something to drink when they're thirsty. We should overcome evil with good. One of the ways we can stand firm is not by fighting for our our rights, but giving up our rights and serving others. Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And lastly, um, spiritual stability is developed by maintaining a constant awareness of the Lord. We see the last part of uh, of, of that verse in Philippians 4, 5, saying the Lord is near. Paul seems to give motivation or encouragement for being gentle to all also for being anxious for nothing in in the next verse. He says the Lord is near. However, this is not just a motivation for gentleness, but it is also necessary for us to foster if we are going to stand firm, we must develop a constant awareness of the Lord. So this could mean that the Lord is near to us in space. I mean, he's, He's everywhere. He's all around us. Um, scripture says in Psalm 34:18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. God is near to comfort those who are hurting. In addition, the Lord is near to empower them to serve those around them. Paul said, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. That was in 2 Timothy 4.17. This could also mean that, that he's present to defend and judge those who hurt them. Paul says in Romans 12.18-19, if, pos- if it is possible, as far as, as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. So we're to live at peace with everyone. Another meaning for the Lord is near could mean that God is near in time, that, that, that Jesus will be returning soon. And so we are to do all that we can to, to touch all the people that we can. We see a, a parable uh, in Luke 12 where, where Jesus is, is talking about his coming. Uh, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at their proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. I tell you the truth, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. Some believe that this is talking about the second coming of the Lord, um, which is pointing to Philippians three twenty through 21 in the previous chapter, where Paul says, But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables Him to bring everything under His control will transform our our lowly bodies so that they will be like His glorious body. So in conclusion, if the worship team wants to come back, I know it's uh, getting kind of late, but... You know how are we to stand firm in the midst of, of of what's going on in the world, of all the trials and the temptations that life brings? Um, you know the the Philippians we don't we don't read all all the things that were going wrong. I'm sure they had the same problems that we do, uh, minus the electronic stuff. I'm sure, but they probably had other stuff besides that because they worked hard. Um, they didn't get to drive their car to church. They had to walk. And so they had other trials that we don't have. But yet, Paul still implores them to do these things to pursue intimacy with Christ, to be more Christ like, to foster harmony in the body of Christ, to maintain joy and to practice gentleness and and to maintain a constant awareness of the Lord. I know tonight, even from the beginning, it seemed like we were just tired. Most people are tired and just kind of weary tonight. So, as I I close, um, I want to just encourage you if, if you're going through a hard time or if, if, you're on, if you're on a mountaintop right now, your number one focus should always be Jesus. Pursuing a relationship with Christ greater than, you, than you've ever known before. I've heard people pray in the past that God, take me back to that place where, where we were so close, where I had a relationship with you, where I felt like you were sitting next to me. But God doesn't desire to do what He did in the past. God desires to take you forward. God desires a more intimate relationship with you each and every day. It's like a a father and son or a father and daughter relationship. You know, as a father, I want to have a better relationship with my kids tomorrow than I did today. I want to be able to know more about my kids and what they're doing at school than I did yesterday. And my kids... Whether they say it or not, I know they want to have a relationship with me. You know, they're always telling me about what they're doing at school or they're, they're just invulging n- all kinds of information that I didn't even ask. They're just telling me because they want me to know. And that's the relationship that God wants to have with us. God's all-knowing, but He still wants us to talk to Him. He still wants us to have a relationship and commune with Him. You know, I, and I think that is... that is that. Of all that we talked about tonight, I think that is the main, the main point, um, is just having that relationship with God and desiring to be closer to Him. The the fostering harmony and, you know, being being in in accord with everyone in the body and and having joy and being gentle. That will all, that all comes with having a relationship with Christ. That all comes with with getting closer to God and becoming more Christ-like. But I think it's important at, at, right now, especially as, as, you know, as a church, we're, we're striving to have a spiritual awakening, not just in, in us as an individual, but, but in our community. And, and, and to be able to see God move and do things and, and change us. I think it's important that if we don't focus on God first, these other things aren't going to happen. I used to wonder as a kid, man, why is church so great? Why are we having such an outpouring of the Spirit? You know, I'm not doing much. I'm not I'm not spending hours and hours praying. I'm not spending, you know, hours and hours reading the Bible, but man, God touched me today and I don't know why. It's because there was some person sitting at home, instead of watching TV, they were talking to God. Instead of finding some hobby that they were that they loved doing. They were reading God's Word. And I think this goes right along with the challenge, the 30-day challenge that we had, because, man, we get caught up in life, don't we? We get caught up in, in doing things, and instead of spending it with the person that desires it the most. I mean, husbands, your wives want to spend time with you. We we know that, and and vice versa. But how much more does God want to spend time with you? I mean, my wife sees the bad part of me and she wants to spend time with me still. But God knows who I truly am. God created me. How much more does He want to spend time with you? And so tonight, uh, I want to end with just spend more time with Jesus. Spend more time with the Holy Spirit and talking. Find out what, where He wants you to go, what He wants you to do. And all, all, the, all the things of this world will just fade away in that moment when talking with God and, and listening to God. Um, so as a challenge tonight, uh, I just challenge you to go home tonight, uh, you know, read your Word, and just talk with God. Talk with Him and just, like He's your best friend. Talk with Him like He's your dad. If you have a need, talk to Him about it. If you don't, just thank Him for it. Because you'll have a need come up pretty soon. Thank you.